Welcome to A Transforming Word with Pastor Bill Buffington. This program is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Inglewood. Today on A Transforming Word. Some of you guys, because of your sleepiness, your kids are missing out because you're spiritually asleep. Not awake to be what you need to be for them that they can get an example of what to be. You sleep on them. Some of us in our family lives, in our neighborhoods, in our jobs, because we're asleep, we're not as effective as we could be. So God's saying, wake up. If you sleep, get the booger out your eye and get up, you know, get to it. Awake from your sleep, knowing that the time is now high time to awake from your sleep. For now, our salvation is nearer than when we first believed, and that'll always be true. Are you spiritually awake? Maybe you can't hear what God is saying because you are spiritually sleeping. In today's message, Pastor Bill talks about how we need to actively listen to God. God uses people to share the gospel, and because of this, He requires us to be spiritually conscious. We achieve this by actively living out our lives to bring Him glory. We need to nurture our relationship with God to understand Him. If we are in a spiritual slumber, God cannot be evident in how we live. Now, here's Pastor Bill in the book of Romans chapter 12 for today's edition of A Transforming Word. Capital punishment is God's program. It's a good thing. So look carefully at verse four with me. It says, for he is God's minister to you for good. But if you do evil, be afraid. He does not bear the sword in vain. What's a sword for? Sword is for killing. He didn't say he doesn't bear the scepter in vain. You know, the government authority or powers. He doesn't bear the sword in vain, the authority, the power to take your life. He doesn't bear it in vain. He has it for a reason. And he says, for he is God's minister and avenger. If you look in your Old Testament at what an avenger, avenger of blood was this. If someone killed your family member, then someone from the family was considered an avenger of blood. And they were going to kill you back. An eye for an eye, a two for a tooth, a life for a life. You kill my brother, my family member, someone's coming to kill you. And unless you escaped into one of the areas where they had some, they had set apart some areas that were cities of refuge. Where if you got to that city, you could live and not be killed. If you didn't get to the city of refuge, the avenger of blood was coming to get you. You were going to die for the life that you took. God says these people are God's avengers, right, to execute wrath on those who practice evil. So, again, for those who have a problem with capital punishment, it's your problem. It is a biblical idea. When it's done right in a society, it purifies a society because people love themselves. When you remove serious punishment from a society, then wickedness increases, which is what we have right now. Rapes on the incline, all these different things. When I went to, last time I went to Jamaica, we went up into this area where it was like, this is where they live. They actually govern themselves. There's a part of Jamaica that won some war way back in the day. And they're their own entity. They're not under the government. They have their own government, whatever. We went up into their area and we talked to the like the guy that runs the town and everybody's in charge of the thing. And I'm like, so as we're driving five hours up this road, I kept noticing all these like very young girls, little girls and little kids and young people. But I noticed a lot of the young girls, they're just walking. And I'm like and I'm seeing men coming out of the bushes and the guys over there smoking the ganja in the bag. And the guy, I'm like, is this safe? For, in my mind, I'm, th- I'm a parent. I'm a dad. I'm looking at these little girls like, is this safe for these little girls out here? And when we got to where I said, um, I said, there's a lot of like girls that are walking by themselves and they're you know, young and, and I see brothers and people on bikes and people all around. Is that safe? And he says, safe how? Like nobody bothers them? They said, oh, no. I said, well, how? They said, if you touch one of these, you, you said you right here, you're here. If you touch a girl here, 
you'll never get out of here. You die. You won't. You don't get to leave. They said, if you, you touch one of these little girls up in here, you don't get to leave this mountain. You don't get to go out. You'll die here. And so nobody messes with them. They're fine. They can go. They can be all times of night because it was dark. And I'm looking and I'm thinking the dad in me is saying, you can't have a little girl out here at that time of night. Somebody would be done grabbed her and done something bad to her. They said, oh, no, not over here. And I thought, wow, look at the freedom these little kids have because they don't put up with that mess. And look how we got to guard our kids, boys and girls today, because our culture allows for it and nobody does anything. So anyway, capital punishment is ordained by God. It's not a bad thing. It's a good thing when it's done right. So. Again, we live in a world right now that wants to make it a really it's a wicked, evil thing. But the things that we used to do capital punishment for, if you go look at statistics of when people were dying for this crime and when they stopped dying for this crime and just got to sit in jail forever, you'll see that the instances of those crimes has greatly increased when people know that the punishment is going to be weaker. And so and that's just what human beings do. You know, we know that we're going to pay for it. We don't do it. Look at verse five now. Therefore, we must be subject not only because of wrath, but also for conscience sake. God says, I don't want you to be obedient just so you don't die. But for your conscience sake, I want you to be right with God. I want you to live this way that you might be right with me. The reason that you have an attitude of submission and obedience and walking according to the rules of the land, God says, is that you might honor me, that your conscience might be clear. One of the questions that comes up is, in, do we obey the law no matter what? And obviously never. That's not the case. We obey the law. The, this is where the line is drawn in every area where God calls for submission. God tells children to obey their parents until what? Till they tell you to do something that violates my written word. Then you submit to the higher authority, which is God. God tells a wife to submit to her husband until when? Until my husband asks me to do something that is against the word of God that will violate my relationship with the Lord. Then you submit to the higher authority. God tells believers to submit to the governing authorities until when? Until they ask you to do something or tell you not to do something that God has told you to do. An example, Daniel. And, you know, they were trying to find something against Daniel. So they made a rule against prayer. So if you get caught praying to any other God, you're going to die. You're going to be you know, thrown to the lions. And Daniel said, well, then I got to get thrown to the lions. And he let the doors, the windows open and he prayed to his God like always. And God delivered him from the lions. Then we know the story in Acts, Peter and John preaching the gospel in the name of Jesus. People getting saved and the authorities took them and beat them and said, don't preach the name of Jesus anymore. And Peter said, ought we to obey God or man? I, I must. I'm going to continue to preach the name of Jesus. Right. In that instance, he didn't submit to the governing authority because God's authority is greater than all authority. And they're, they're telling him not to do what God said do. So that's the line. Right. So where do we draw the line? If, if someone's telling me to do something that's against God, then I say, no, I'm not submitting. I'm going to submit to the higher authority at that point and submit to God. Other than that, we should be law abiding people. Honoring God by keeping the rules that have been set in place. Amen. All right. Moving on. Verse six. For because of this, you also pay taxes for they are God's ministers attending continually to this very thing. So believers, we're supposed to pay our taxes. I know people be trying to get around it. People lie at tax time and be claiming kids that they're not taken care of. And, you know, just people do all kinds of things. I hope it's not y'all, right? Pay your taxes. Be in good standing as a Christian in the world in which you live. Pay your taxes. Again, Jesus, they came to him for some taxes. And he told Peter, hey, is a fish going to come? Grab that fish and pull the coin out of his mouth and pay the taxes. As an example to you and me, he paid taxes. 
And if Jesus Christ, God, came to earth that he created, dealing with people that he created, and their little government that they came up with said he had to pay taxes, he could have said, man, you know who I am? Jesus Christ, fool. But he didn't do that. You know, he said, Peter, go on and pay the guy his taxes. I'm going to do the, that's the right thing to do. And he left you and me an example. Then if he had to do it, then I, I didn't, it shouldn't even be a question for you and me. Amen. So move right along, pay taxes, move right along. All right. Verse seven, render therefore to all their due taxes to whom taxes are due, customs to whom customs, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. God says, render to people what's due them. If taxes are due, you pay the taxes. If customs are due, you go somewhere and you're supposed to pay a customs fee. Don't be trying to sneak it in and take a label off and, you know, get it under the table. Pay the customs fee. It's due them. If fear, that's a reverence, right? And this is important when we deal, I believe, when we deal with law enforcement. This is where a lot of people get in trouble. Just not wanting to give proper respect, reverence to these people, you know. And God says, look, if, if fear, reverence is due, you give it. Give it to people that's due them. You know, I know when kids are in school and an authority in the school, a principal or someone walks in, the kids are all supposed to stop and good morning, Mrs. whatever, you know, and they're, they're all just they're being trained to like, hey, show some respect. You know, you're going to address them by their proper name and speak good morning to them or whatever. This is not a bad practice or habit. Guys, as believers, we get so caught up in this world sometimes that, you know, we just we get we become like the world in which we live and. Again, we'd be better witnesses if we just show proper respect to those that it belongs to. I believe these are other reasons why it's inappropriate for us to be out bashing, you know, government authorities and people that God has put in place because we disagree with what they're doing. But if we go out verbally assaulting them, bashing them, posting things on our social media to degrade them and put them down, I think it's not honoring to the Lord that we behave like that. Now, it's not giving honor to them. And so... We don't want to be doing that. Verse eight. Oh, no one anything except except to love one another. For he who loves one another has fulfilled the law. And he's getting ready to list several of the laws. But he said, look, don't owe anybody anything but love. Keep yourself in such a place where I'm not indebted to you for anything else but love. I owed you something else. I didn't gave it to you, but I'm not owing you anything else. His oh, no one anything except to love one another for he who loves to fulfill the law. And we'll look at how lo- the love works. These are the, this is the second table of the law that is giving us not the law that deals with our love for God, but it's giving us the law that deals with our love for each other. Look at what it says. Verse nine for the commandments. You shall not commit adultery. If I really love you, right? If I really love someone, then I'm not going to cheat on my spouse or sleep with someone that's married to someone else. Then I'm not loving you. I'm not, I, that's, that's me saying I love me. I don't care about your walk with God. I don't care about where you go when you die. That's not love. You love someone, you won't be an adulterer. You won't do that to them. You won't violate your marriage covenant and you won't violate someone else's marriage covenant. Adultery is sleeping with someone married to someone else or someone that's married stepping outside of their marriage. So someone single sleeping with someone married, you're an adulterer. Someone married having sex with someone outside of your marriage, you're an adulterer. God says that's not love. You're not loving somebody in that equation. I would say two single people fornicating together. That's supposed to be Christian. Y'all not loving each other. Y'all saying, I don't care about your walk with the Lord. You know, what's going to happen with you? So that's not love. So when he said love one another, he's fleshing it out for us in these commandments, right? You shall not murder. That's pretty easy. If I love you, I won't murder you, right? (laughs) Done? (laughs) I love you. Kill you. You know, that won't happen. So if I love you, I'm not going to kill you. Now, Jesus took these commands further. 
is if you hate somebody without cause, you murder them in your heart, right? We don't want to do that either. We don't want to be hating people, murdering people. That's not love. It says, look, if it says you shall not steal. I can't love you and steal from you, take from you what belongs to you and say, I love you though, bro. I know I just needed it that bad. You know, um, if I love you, I won't steal from you. The law fleshed out. That's love. Love won't steal from somebody else. I won't want what you have so bad I take it if I really love you. You shall not bear false witness. If I love you, I'm not going to lie to you or lie on you. That's not love. I'm not love if I lie on you. Say something that's not true. Bear false witness about you. That's not love. And so all these are things. The last one, you shall not covet. If I love you, I won't covet your stuff. I won't look at what you have and say, I want that though. What you go? How come he got that? You don't have that. If I love you, I'm going to be able to, like we talked about last week, I can rejoice with you and how God's blessed you. Uh, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep, but I won't covet after what you have. If I love you, I'd be glad that you have it. Blessed for you. This is the command fleshed out. And the two commandments that we're to live by, loving God, loving others. And so some of these things walk us through. Wow, if I'm stealing, I'm not loving. If I'm hating or murdering, I'm not loving. If I'm going outside of my marital life or living in sexual sin, I'm not loving. If I'm stealing, if I'm lying to people, deceiving, I'm not loving. These are all things that we do to one another that are unloving. God says love one another. And so fulfill the law of Christ. Verse 10, love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. And so just consider that. Is there someone that you love that you do harm to? then you're not loving them right, right? Love does no harm to his neighbor. And so, you know, if the boot fits, if you realize there's someone that's, you're supposed to be loving, but you're doing harm, then you want to correct that, right? If I love you, I don't harm you. I'm not doing damage to people that I love with a biblical love, an agape love. Verse 11, and do this knowing the time that now is high time to awake out of sleep for now, our salvation is nearer than we first believed. So he said, now, why? Why am I telling you to obey the authorities, you know, honor the government, you know, be right with people, love one another? He said, no. He said, do all these things knowing that the time it is now high time to awake out of your sleep. And he said, some of y'all are asleep. I mean, things are going on, but you're spiritually asleep, just sleeping through. I know when I was in high school, there'd be certain classes that you just sleep through the class. Um, you was in the class, teacher was teaching, you know, homework was given, assignments were doled out, and somebody tapped you at the end and wake you up. You missed the whole thing, uh, just sleeping through. And uh, some of y'all can relate. So, but here God says, look, awake from your sleep. Don't be asleep in spiritual matters. Don't be living in a world where God says, look, you right in the midst of the great work I want to do through you. There are people around you that need me, and you're the, con you're the person I want to use, but you sleep. So you're not talking, you're not sharing, you're not living right, you're not being an example. Some of you guys, because of your sleepiness, your kids are missing out because you're spiritually asleep. You're not awake to be what you need to be for them that they can get an example of what to be. You sleep on them. Some of us in our family lives, in our neighborhoods, in our jobs, because we're asleep, we're not as effective as we could be. So God's saying, wake up. If you sleep, get the booger out your eye and get up, you know, get to it. Awake from your sleep, knowing that the time is now high time to awake from your sleep. For now, our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. And that'll always be true. Today, my salvation, my meeting God face to face is nearer than when I first believed in 1995. And every day it's nearer and nearer. This is always going to be true until I get to him. Every day I'm a little bit closer. I'm a little bit closer to meeting the Lord. And so are you. Verse 12. The night is far spent. The day is at hand. 
Therefore, let us cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. And so here he says, look, the night is far spent. The day is at hand. The idea is the time's running out. When the day is far spent, that means it's almost over. The, the day is at hand. The time is now for us to, to get involved, to live the way Christ has called us to live. Therefore, he tells us some things to take off. Later on, he's going to tell us some things to put on. Therefore, he says, cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. And so one thing that characterizes the non-believer is a life of darkness. He says, put off the life of darkness. This is how you can know you're walking in darkness. If you are living in such a way, practicing things or doing things that you have to be keep a secret. And it's not a surprise party. So if you're living in such a way that you got to hide that, you know, you got to cover this up, you know. Some people got apps on their phone that's like, what's this? it's an app to hide stuff that's actually so people, what you hiding? What do you hide? What do you have to hide? What are you doing that no one can see? That's that? You ain't FBI? You know, you, you know, it's like, I know this anyway. It's people unemployed with all kind of, but you hiding stuff. What are you living in? Are you living in darkness? Are you living in darkness? You have things you got to hide. Do you have to lie a lot? Because people that lie a lot are hiding things. That's why you lie. Lying is a way to cover up the truth. You're lying so that the truth is not revealed. Are you lie a lot? because you're hiding stuff, walking in darkness. Are you keeping secrets? Are you like making sure that no one knows this thing over here because you're living in darkness and you don't want what you're really doing to be exposed? God says, stop walking in darkness, walking in the light. Walk in such a way that if you just got caught at any part of life, you'd be like, I know, it's what I do. Wouldn't be nothing to hide. Wouldn't be no shame. That's how we want to be living our lives. At whatever point, if you just were to be exposed at some point, caught in some way, you know, found here doing whatever, that it would be like, yeah, that's just what I do. There's a guy I know in Bellflower, and uh, he's a minister, and um, he's, a, he's, a van, he's always sharing the gospel, different things like that. And one day I observed him, and I, was, I had to go to court for a ticket. And I was at the court place, and I saw him. I was like, I wonder what are you up here doing? You know, I don't even want a ticket. And I saw him, and it was so cool, right? Because I know who he is and what he is and what he's supposed to be. And he was walking up and down the line. Now, he put his outfit on and made it look like he worked at the court. And everybody's standing in line. They got to wait. And he was walking up, and he was giving them instructions before you come before the judge. And it ended up being a trap, but he was handing it out to everybody. So I was like, I read it. And it was like, you know, and it, first it gave practical stuff. Don't chew gum. You know, make sure your pants or your shirt's tucked in. It was just giving legitimate things about when you come before the judge and it went on to talk about how one day we're going to come before God the judge and how to prepare to come before him and I was like wow and I, I was I was so this is just what he does he's an evangelist and he's like I figured out a way because I live down the street from the court to take advantage of the fact that people are nervous and they want to make sure it works out well and I'm going to take advantage of that and I'm going to come out here before court and get these people this thing so that they can maybe get saved before they go to court and I thought that was so cool that was slick in a good way you know and again, I look at something like that and I think, you know, he wasn't there off duty, living in some kind of dark. But that's the, exactly the guy he was Sunday morning. And he's doing the same thing on Monday morning. That, that's how we want to live our life. That you get caught out there. People are just finding you doing what you're supposed to be doing. That's that's who you are. So walking in the light. Again, therefore, let us cast off the works of darkness. And then so we're taking off the works of darkness. We're putting on the armor of light. Ephesians 6, you can look at the armor of God right there. I don't have time to go over it. Verse 13, let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry and drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, not in strife and envy. So he said, let's walk properly. Let your walk be proper. Let it be correct, upright. And 
end the day. That means that you're walking in such a way that, you know, hey, I put the light on, right? I'm not hiding anything about what I'm doing. Not in reverie and drunkenness, partying, lewdness, the sexual misconduct, sexual misbehavior, lust, or strife and envy. So take those things off. And if any of those things characterize any part of your life, if there's sexual sin, if there's drunkenness, if there's partying, if there's lewd behavior, if there's if strife, there's strife, you're a person that's always got beef and strife with people. God says, look, or you're envious, you know, you a hater, you envious of everybody doing good around you. God says, take that off. And this is the cool thing, right? God doesn't command me to take something off that I'm not able to take off. So if he's telling you to take it off, it's because you can with his help. So take it off. He says, take those things off. Verse 14. Then this is what you got to put on. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust. Command right there. He says, put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Put on Jesus. How do you do that? How do, how do I put Jesus on? Right. It's living in him. It's living in obedience and submission to him. I'm putting on the Lord Jesus Christ. What I'm putting on is I'm taking off this other junk because I can't leave that junk on and put Jesus on top. Putting away these other things. I repent of these behaviors. I repent of, you know, all these other things that God said, take off. But now I'm putting on Jesus. Right. I'm putting on the mind of submission. I'm putting on the mind of Christ. I'm putting on a heart that's going to be obedient to the Lord, a, a life that's going to move in the direction God calls a life. Says, put on the Lord. Jesus Christ. I'm putting on the mindset that lets Jesus be Lord of this body, of this life. And then he says, and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill his lust. Everybody here has weaknesses in your flesh. We all do. Uh, until you go to heaven, you're going to have some weaknesses in your flesh that you're battling with, contending with. Don't be bummed out that you got weaknesses in your flesh. Some people are beat. The enemy got them right there. I can't believe I think that way. To believe it, because you do. It's accepted, right? You got flaws. We all do, right? Don't be all bummed out and depressed that you're flawed because you're flawed. Accept it. But he said, don't make provision for it. The cool thing about knowing your weaknesses is that you cannot make provision, right? When I was an alcoholic, the way I made provision for my alcoholism was, was making sure I had access to alcohol when I wanted it. I made provision for the lust of my flesh. I can go on and speak of many other areas where I made provision to fulfill the lust of my flesh. Then God said, now that you belong to me, don't make no provision for it. Don't make an allowance for it. Don't have an open door for it. Don't let there be an opportunity. Where are you weak at? Where are you weak at? Identify it. Be, make it known to you. And don't, don't make provision for your flesh. You, you argumentative person? Don't make provision for that. Just shut up. Be quiet. That's what argumentative people, the word from the Lord to argumentative people. Shut up. That's it. Be delivered right there. You can't argue with your mouth shut. I, that's not true because some people be breathing funny and looking faces, whatever. But for the most part, you shut it down pretty good right there. You know, you know, that's not making provision for me. You know, I got areas where God says, you know, I can't argue with men. So if a man get loud, there's a point where I got to say, OK, done. I got to lose. I can't make the provision for my flesh there because I know I do really, really good until I do really, really bad. But I really don't do the middle. So I'm either going to be really walking with the Lord or I'm going to be really walking with the devil. But I'm not going to be in the middle. So God's like, you just need to shut up. That's how I'm delivered from getting in verbal altercations, fighting with men. Is if somebody's getting loud and aggressive, I just got to be quiet. Take the L. Because I'm still in control when I'm quiet. But when this thing get going, I'm, I lost it. And I'm in the flesh. And once you're in the flesh, it's all bad. So everybody here, recognize where you're weak at. Right. Where am I weak at? Where do I blow it at most often? And then God says, then don't make no provision for the flesh. 
Don't feed it. Don't give it opportunity. Don't, don't give it a way to express itself. Make no provision for the flesh to fulfill his lust. That we might continually walk in the spirit. Amen. Romans 5, 3-5 says, We rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. Paul knew suffering, and he had faced false accusations, been beaten, left for dead, imprisoned, and hated by his own people. How could a man who has suffered so much rejoice in it? He answers that question through the love of God and the gift of the Holy Spirit. Next time you're facing suffering, jump into the book of Romans, dig into the life of Paul, and remember the purpose of the suffering to produce endurance, character, and hope. We're so glad you joined us today on A Transforming Word, where Pastor Bill Buffington has been working his way through the rich book of Romans. A Transforming Word is a ministry of Calvary Chapel, Inglewood. If you're in the area, we'd love to see you in person. We have two services on Sunday at 9 and 11 a.m. and one service midweek. That one is held Wednesday evenings at 7. If you're not in the area, we live stream our services on YouTube, Instagram, and Facebook. You can also find us online at calvaryinglewood.org. Under the Media tab, you'll find links to our messages as well as our mobile app. We're out of time for today. Thanks for deciding to spend your time with us today. We'll see you again next time with more from Romans on a Transforming Word.